Good morning. Today is Thursday, August 15th. This is Daily Perspective from Politics NC. I'm Kirk Kovac here in Raleigh. Thomas is with us on the phone in Carborough. Thomas, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am well. Um, so last we left, we were still working on the budget or the legislators were. And now I think about 35, 36, maybe 37 days after the budget was supposed to be finished, uh, still nothing. And it seems the big issue remains Medicaid expansion. Democrats and the governor want it. Republicans don't. But I have heard that they may be making some progress uh, just perhaps because some of the Republicans are tired of being around in Raleigh all the time. And I'm sure the Democrats are as well. Uh, do you think there's any light at the end of this tunnel coming up in relatively short term, or do you think they're going to be here for uh, a while longer? You know, I, I really, I could not say, Kirk. I mean, I've, I heard rumors a few weeks ago that uh, the Senate was ready to adjourn and that they were going to go home and then come back sometime in September. That apparently didn't work out. So, uh, or maybe the end of August, they were, they were going to adjourn and then leave and come back. Um, and it really, it, I mean, not being in the building and knowing exactly what's happened over at the legislature, it, it feels like we're just in this waiting game where people are wandering around. Um, since they're still in session, session, people are collecting their, their daily stipends and their, their salary for, for being there. Um, uh, you know, their, their living expenses. I mean, not salary, but, uh, right. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it really is a, uh, it, from the outside, it looks like it's fairly frustrating at the same time. It looks like Democrats have got the resolve to, to stand firm and the governor has insisted upon some sort of Medicaid expansion. Republicans are pushing back saying that's not a starting point. But there are a whole lot of different ways to expand Medicaid, and a, a whole lot of Republican states have done it. And my guess is, is the governor will entertain anything these guys are willing to uh, propose. Um, but, uh, you know, right now they're not proposing anything other than um, this, this bill that just passed the legislature that allows, I think it's maybe healthcare savings accounts. I'm not exactly sure. It's a it it allows businesses to pool their interest so they can get, um, to get uh, um, insurance cheaper for their employees. So they act like much larger small businesses can pool their resources. So they act like much larger corporations. The the, the problem with the bill is while it doesn't specifically exclude uh, pre-existing conditions, it can, it, it does allow insurances, insurance companies to uh, it, get, a, get around paying for treatment for some of those conditions. And that's, and that's the problem that Democrats have. You know, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll insure you for your pre-existing condition. We just won't pay for your pre-existing condition. And that's that's the I think that's the sticking point on that. But uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, we're we we're getting into the end of summer here, and we still don't have a budget. And you know, Republicans, this is now a divided government, and Republicans need to learn how to 
uh, play with something other than a vote, uh, veto override. Well, moving towards uh, 2020, where Governor Cooper and every uh, member of the legislature will be up for re-election, there is a new poll from Civitas talking about some of the head-to-heads. Um, and I know, I believe the head of the RNC, she tweeted about the head-to-head between uh, Trump and I think four different uh, presidential nominees. But I guess it'd be interesting to start with um, Cooper v. Forrest. He's up 48-36 in that poll. And then Cooper v. Grange is up 48-30. to So do you think there's, can we read much into these head-to-heads on the uh, gubernatorial side since the Republicans still have to finish up their primary between Forrest and Grange? Or does this uh, sort of portend anything about how Roy Cooper might fare next year? I, I just I, I don't believe polls are, are predictive this far out at all. So I, I don't I don't think we don't know what's going to be going on um, in September, late August, September uh, in 2020. The only thing the poll tells us is that Cooper is still a popular governor, and uh, that he would certainly prefer to be there than be an unpopular governor. The, the problem with the poll is, is at this point, neither Forrest nor Grange have any considerable name recognition, uh, up except among, you know, uh, really tuned in folks. And, and we're going to have a huge election next year um, that's going to bring out a lot of low information voters and how they end up splitting, uh, pulling the, their ballot is going to really determine that a race like that. So. I don't. I believe we're way past the days in North Carolina where anybody wins at the top of the ticket by ten points. I think it's going to be in, in a statewide race. I think the governor's race is going to end end up being a few points. The presidential race will be a few points. The Senate race will be a few points. It's just not going to be an, a, a route. So that's what I think. Right. Well, uh, in terms of the presidential, maybe moving away from polls, I know you uh, referenced, I think yesterday, a Washington Post column where the columnist had met with family in North Carolina. He's an African-American and sort of did a straw poll in his cookout. And there was um, a lot of support for Joe Biden. And one of the interesting things I saw from that Washington Post article, and it's an excerpt I tweeted out about it, was... um, the, they did not like Biden because he was Obama's um, vice president. They just liked Biden uh, by himself, it seemed, was the takeaway from that. I mean, so so what did you think about that article? Because I know you wrote about it. Um, and does that have implications for North Carolina when we talk about having the presidential primary here, I think, next March? You know, I, I love that article. It's, it's very much of an informal uh, focus group, but I, I thought it was a... I thought uh, Jonathan Capehart, the the author, had some interesting insights about it. And I think you can learn a lot from from talking to people on the ground about their motivations and and, uh, um, desires. And and I think the big thing that I saw is that those people really want the people at that picnic uniformly or, or family reunion. They want somebody who can beat Donald Trump. And I think they genuinely like Biden. I think they like Biden for a lot of reasons. Um, 
I, I suspect there's more to do with his attachment to Obama than 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 K Park suggests. Uh, in that, I'm not sure they would know that much about who Joe Biden was, or he had he not been vice president of the United States under Barack Obama. Um, and and that's a you know I think that is a it's a powerful selling point. That said, I think they genuinely do like like Biden, and I think they like him for a whole lot of reasons. I think they think he can beat Trump. I think they think he's a very decent guy. And you know, one of the things that I don't think people understand enough about the African American community is their experience in America is very unique. And the people, the older people, particularly at that reunion, uh, a lot of them lived through the civil rights movement, and they they understand that attitudes have to change in order for them to make progress in this country. And they still have to change. And so they're less likely, I think, to hold past positions against people than they are um, some of the, than, than are some of the, 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 the progressive activists. You know, you know African-Americans, almost 60% of African-Americans uh, came to Ralph Northam's defense when, when that whole uh, college yearbook thing came up where he, there was a, on, on his college yearbook page, there was a, a white, white person in blackface and somebody dressed as a Ku Klux Klan member. The progressive, white progressive establishment called on his resignation. The African-American establishment stood by him. Um, again, it's because where Northern stood 35 years ago has a whole lot less relevance to, to uh, the country and, and what he's doing today than where he is, where, where he is. And, and I think they understand that Biden's problem with uh, busing or whatever um, isn't necessarily reflective of his views of, of African-Americans and their plight in America. Um, so that's, you know, that that's, that's the one thing. The other thing that I think people need to understand, Biden's getting beat up pretty badly around the crime bill. The, the problem with that is, is the crime bill came at a time where crime was very high, and a lot of the victims of the crimes were African-Americans, and, and African-Americans were largely supportive of that legislation back in the 90s. It wasn't like they were railing against it. Now, what happened with the mass incarceration as as a result of some of that um, was terrible, and and it was bad. My father was a judge, and and there was there was some uh, some of the bills. I think there were mandatory minimums in there, and he was pretty much he was he was adamantly against those parts of it, saying you know that doesn't take into account specific circumstances. It's going to end up locking up people for long ter- terms, and he was right. Um, for for relatively minor locking up people for relatively minor offenses, but uh, but still, it, it's not like uh, there was at the time there was a huge African American backlash to that bill. That that has come since then, and and I think most Democrats have said, yeah, that was not a great piece of legislation. We wish it hadn't happened. We now do, need to do something to fix it. So, anyhow, but that's that's where I I, I believe the black community is is with Biden on that. Well, I know today I believe um 
I think it's Hickenlooper is is dropping out of the presidential race and he's considering a run for Senate in Colorado. So that's probably a good sign that the field is starting to winnow a little bit when you've got two dozen people running. Um, and there won't be much use for a Democrat in the Oval Office if the Senate remains under Mitch McConnell. They won't be able to do very much um, apart from uh, maybe a moral shift in the leadership of the country. But uh, that'll be interesting to keep up with. I know every day there's something new in the presidential race to to watch and obsess over. So we will definitely keep uh, abreast of those updates. And I think that should about do it for today. Well, I I, I mean, the one other thing I'd like to say is that that the – I think I hope Hickenlooper is 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 beginning of a movement. I mean, I it's not too late for Steve Bullock, the the uh, um, former governor of Montana, to, to jump into the Senate race there. You know, it's uh, you know I, I think that that's another state we could take. And I and I, and and I think I mean I've watched Governor Bullock from early on, and I really like him, but he's not going to get any traction in this crowd. I mean, it, I mean the, that that race is really starting to get locked down, and and uh, I, I just can't see him making any traction. Um, what do you think about Texas? I, I, you know, I, I, O'Rourke all of a sudden has has had a burst of energy in in wake of the El Paso um, shooting because of his response to it, but I still don't think he's going to get the traction to ever get to be the nominee. And uh, you know, I kind of well, wish he, he would get in the race against Cornyn. I mean, I, I, I would, you know, I guess in his mind, it's better to lose a presidential race, though, and then take the risk and lose two Senate races back to back, because that could really be a deal deal breaker as far as a longer term political future. But um, but I, I just, you know, I, I, I can't see. I mean, the more I'm watching this thing is the closer we get. It really does seem to be wrapping around a handful of candidates you know, Biden, Sanders, Harris, uh, Buttigieg, and Sanders. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe a Castro can break through, maybe a, 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 an O'Rourke can break through, but it's, it's not looking that it's not looking great for these guys. Um, maybe Klobuchar, but we'll see. I mean, I guess the, these debates in the fall will really kind of determine that. So. Right. Well, I was interested to, to, to book in things that I saw something today saying that after this El Paso event that um, Beto was changing the strategy of the campaign and instead of focusing on early states like Iowa, New Hampshire, he was going to go to places that had been adversely affected by the Trump presidency. Um, it just seems like an odd gambit because the only way he could actually gain traction is if he did surprisingly well in, in Iowa or New Hampshire. Right. I mean, I don't see what the, well, I, 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 well, here's what he, here's probably what he's looking at is, is, I mean, everybody's putting together these huge ground games in the, in, in those States. They're relatively, I mean, Iowa is nothing but caucuses and, and, and New Hampshire is a relatively small state. Um, and I don't think, uh, I don't think O'Rourke's the type of candidate that gets a ton of traction in a South Carolina. So he's probably looking at what's going on with these Super Tuesday states. And if he, and if he, I mean, he raised a bunch of money early. I don't know how he's what he's done with his resources, but if he takes the resources and tries to put them into, uh, you know, one of those super, a few of those Super Tuesday states that are delegate rich, there's a possibility he could stay alive. Um, 
and 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 get get traction. So, I mean, you know, it's it, it's not a it's not a traditional path to the 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 nomination. But if he if he's starting to see he's not making real traction in places like Iowa and New Hampshire. South Carolina, he's got to try something else if he's going to stay in the race. Right. Well, that remains to be seen. And I know we're already pushing up against the next round of debates sometime in September. So maybe there will be some more uh, shifts in the lineup by then. Uh, Thank you for taking some time today, Thomas, to drop by and talk to me about uh, the current political climate. This has been Perspective from Politics NC. Thank you for listening. Be sure to read about all the topics we discussed and more on politicsnc.com and see daily articles on Facebook and Twitter as well. Thanks a lot, Kurt.